Good evening, everybody. We are here with our session 129. We thank you for all the questions. We thank you that you keep on sending the questions. And it really blesses a lot of people. One person sends and hundreds of people listen. And that's all also is a ministry, sending questions, relevant questions, questions concerning life. You know, a lot of people struggle with the same issue, but everybody do not have the boldness to ask. So like when one person asks, it answers a question, like it's in a classroom. All the children have a doubt, but they're very scared to ask. And one stands up and asks, and the teacher answers everybody's doubt. So sending a question is sometimes like that. So we thank you for the questions. Keep sending them. We'll keep answering, but we'll always trust God to give the answer. Our answer is not the final answer. The final answer is from the Word of God Amen. and from the Spirit of God. So don't take our answer and run with it. Still go back to your prayer closet, read your Word, God will speak to you in your particular situation and he will give you the answer. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not, not his, his word. word. It will never pass away. So we'll stand on his word. Father, this evening, we just thank you, Father. We just thank you, Lord. You gave us your son. And above all, for us now, you gave us your spirit. That we are not alone. The spirit of wisdom. The spirit of power the spirit of love, the spirit of a sound mind. All this you have given us. Yes, Lord. Help us to lean on to your Holy Spirit and not to our own understanding, O oh God. So even this evening, though it may be a live Q&A and the ones who send the questions are far away in different countries, yet, Lord, you speak through us. You give us the wisdom to answer. Let the answer, you take it and impress in the hearts of the hearers that they will know exactly what you are telling each one in their situation. Both to understand, to speak, and for everyone to receive. We trust you, Spirit of God. Only you can do it. It's beyond the scope of man or machine. Only you can do it. So we trust you, Lord. We commit this time into thy hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we'll start with question number seven. Again, it's a two-part question. Um, basically, the question, or, uh, the question says, can our prayer and our worship be ever genuine? Because she says, is it, imp it, is it impossible for, for people who have been, who have persuaded themselves that God has failed? Yet we must worship or serve him without grudging, grudging God in our hearts. Can our prayer and our worship be genuine? Heard your wife and you praying. Started checking my heart and, and the intention of my heart. Praying with all of you online helps, my, helps me search my heart and check my motives. But can I still worship God without a grudge? Yes, you can. Let's go to the first first part. Because the Bible says all things are possible to him or her who believes. Mm -hmm. Is it impossible for people who have persuaded themselves that God has failed? That's where the problem comes. Mm. Okay, one, God never fails. God now forgot the words. But there are two places where it says, one, God never fails. And another place which says, love never fails. That's the only time that is used in the Bible. God never fails. That is in the Old Covenant. 
and the new covenant in Corinthians says his love, God's love never fails. So God can never fail. God can never fail. What fails is our understanding of God in a situation. Mm. It's an understanding of a situation. Like, I may pray for something and I have my own idea of how it should, uh, how it should be answered or what I'm expecting. And when my, uh, it does not happen that way, mm. I am thinking that God has failed. God has failed. Because God hasn't failed. Only thing that he said no. He said no to my prayer. He just said no to my prayer. That does not mean God has failed me. It was not God's will. It was not God's will. The most powerful example of this question and uh, the way it is, it has to be seen is you see it uh, in the book of Job. Let's go to the book of Job and chapter 1. Okay, we will read first verse 1. And there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Mm. This is his testimony from God. You know, God also says the same thing to Satan about Job. So he's a good man. He's a blameless man, upright man who feared God, shunned evil. That's all God is basically asking from us. Okay. But the issue is here he has ten children. And if we go to now to verse 4 onwards, Okay, four and five. His sons would go and feast in their houses, each one on his appointed day, would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For God said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Okay, so he has seven sons. So they're taking turns to party. <laughs> Dad has got lots of money. Dad has got pots and pots and pots of money. The children don't have to work. They're not interested in working. They have grown up. They are married. So a lot of children end up like that without having the what we call the character traits of the parents, the integrity of the parents, the faith of the parents, the <coughs> righteousness of the parents. And parents need to store up for their children. Yes. But a generation can waste it away what the father has stored if they have not inculcated the character of the father. In this case, Job. Okay, so what happens is you have money, but you're a good man, you're a righteous man, but your children are like wayward and they're big, you have no control. But this one thing that he does, that when their parting is over, he would, the Bible says, he would send and sanctify them. He would still, his ministry as a priest in the family is not stopping. His ministry as a king has stopped. Mm. He cannot rule their actions mm. because they are adults. As a ministry, as a prophet, the father has three roles in the Bible, as priest, prophet, and, and king. king. Okay, So kingship has ended. They are on their own. They won't listen. Prophet has ended. He's not able to speak to them because they don't want to hear. They will still go their way. But one thing he's still doing is that his function as a priest is continuing. Mm. Okay, So he would call them. He would sanctify them. And he would offer all the 
burnt offerings according to them, ten of them. So you need to realize Job is supposed to be the oldest book in the Bible, mm. older than Abraham. Uh, sorry, he was either the contemporary. contemporary of Abraham or before that. That's what theologians say. So you need to realize that this concept about offerings and cleansing and sanctification was always mm. there, codified by Moses. Anyone who was righteous, who was wanted to be blameless, had a personal revelation of God, mm. how you can be cleansed, how you can be sanctified. So all this is there. He's praying, he's sanctifying them, he's offering sacrifices, all these things are there, and then they all die. They all die. They all die. Now, if you go to chapter 3 and verse 25. Hmm. Chapter 3 words. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. Okay, so he saw his fear. He knew his children. Hmm. He always feared, Lord, have mercy on my children. Have mercy on my children. Have mercy on my children. The way they are going. I don't know, the hand of God may come upon them. And suddenly the hand of God comes and they are all gone. They are all gone. Now, Job could stand there and say, my prayers have not been answered. God has failed me. God has failed me. I'm looking at just a picture. In his case scenario where your prayers have not been answered. In this case, he's been praying, interceding as a father, standing in the gap that no harm would come to them. But they are dead and gone. They're gone. So he could either look at it and think as God has failed them. But that's not what happened. Okay. Verse um, 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. Okay. 222. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell. So there are details in it's not part of the question or answer, but when you get excited when you see the word of God. Okay, if you go to verse 18, this is what we need to realize, okay? In spite, in spite of the father's priesthood constantly doing this, you need to realize when judgment comes or calamity comes, it's when they are eating and drinking. Hmm. It's when they are eating and drinking. Okay, so they didn't learn their lesson. Okay, they didn't listen. This is what happens to people who depend upon somebody else's prayer and don't have a personal relationship with God. It's a very dangerous thing to depend on somebody else all your life. Okay, he will pray me through, mommy will pray me through, auntie will pray me through. It's a very dangerous thing. So the kids are cool. Okay, oh dad, dad will pray us through, dad will pray us through. But one day when it came, got in here, dad's prayers. And it happened at a point when they are drinking and eating. Second, when you have ten children, seven boys and three, you know the law and they all knew it. His son knew it, all of them knew it. The eldest son is the one who is supposed to have the mantle of the father, mm. the double portion. Yes. Okay, But this is the guy's house where they are drinking. So the eldest son also has failed in his God-given 
responsibility. Yep. That's what they say. It was in the elder son. So these this little details don't miss out. Because we get so enamored by Job, we forget God is trying to tell us lessons for all ages. All ages. Okay, They were in their oldest brother's house. Okay, In one way, Joseph was not killed because Reuben interfered. And he said, don't kill him. He took the Don't opposite of the first one. Right? Okay. And they they listened to him because he was the eldest one. Mm. He was the eldest one. And in this case, you will see it was in the oldest brother's house. But when the news reaches Job, look at how Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and he worshipped. What did he say? Oh, what a okay. statement that is. He said, naked I came from a mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. He's got no grudge in his heart and he's not saying God has failed him. Hmm. Mother doesn't react the same way. Remember, the mother doesn't react the same way. Okay. Chapter 2, verse 9 and verse 10. His wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. And he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Okay. This is the answer to that question. First, God has not failed. The minute when you think God has failed you, you are also making a statement, God is unrighteous. Mm. God is unrighteous. God is not unrighteous. God is always righteous. God is not only righteous, God is always loving. He cannot be unloving because God is love. So, let us say when you say, God, when you have persuaded yourself, God has failed. Now, it, let us think of, of in this particular case, the worst case scenario where you think God has failed is when somebody dies. Spouse dies, your children die, in spite of all your prayers and everything, you die. Now, you have to believe these fundamental things. One, God is righteous, is never unrighteous. So in his righteousness, he has taken somebody out of the picture. One, two. God is loving. If you are talking about your own, as a believer, if you are talking about your own children, okay, Job's children, you have to believe they are saved. Okay, they are believed they are saved. So when God takes a person out, you need to realize a loving father in heaven is taking them out at the best point of their life. <laughs> yes. Best point of their life. He knows. He knows. He knows. So this also you need you need to. Amen. God will listen to our prayers. But sometimes we, we, God shouldn't listen to our prayers. <laughs> okay. If we are very, very impertinent and push him, it's okay. Okay. Like I always talk about Hezekiah's prayer. No, when God said, put your house in order, get ready to die, he wept and cried and when he created a scene before God, one on one. And God said, okay. I'll add 15 years to his life. That's when Manasseh is born. In that 15 years. Now if you look at it, he had listened to God's will and put his house in order. History of Israel would be different. 
There's no Manasseh in the picture. And you remember Manasseh is one of the, not one of, if not the, the, the worst, the worst, worst king. evil king. But even he repented. But the damage he cost. Yes. The damage he cost. Okay, to Israel. So, we have to get this. Don't persuade. God never fails. I wish you could find... Uh, oh, Joshua 21.45. No, no, not one. God has not failed any of his promises. promises that is it is somewhere in Zachariah, Zephaniah. One of those smaller... Uh, smaller prophets, if I'm right. Okay. Because God cannot fail. <laughs> if Yeah, they all say Joshua twenty one forty five. No, it is not okay. They all these Googlers are giving. Okay, okay, let's leave it. If you find it, it's fine. Because I remember long, long, long ago. I think I preached about it, and it was not from Joshua twenty one forty five. Okay, that's the problem with me. <laughs> okay, so God cannot fail. If God fails, then God is not God. Okay. We may have persuaded ourselves. <laughs> okay. God denied your prayer request. That does not mean God has failed. God denied your prayer request. Does not mean God has failed. That was not meant to be. Okay. So... Can our prayer and worship be genuine? Yes. Look at Job's prayer. It was absolutely genuine. His worship was absolutely genuine. Actually, that worship is the worship that is actually genuine when you are tested. Let's look at another favorite portion of my Second Samuel, right? Second Samuel chapter 12. This is all why this is a man after God's son. Zephaniah 3.5. He never fails. Yes. See, I got it. See, this is what I call the Holy Spirit brings you reference. Now, I would have never guessed it. I need it suddenly. It is Zephaniah or Zachariah. The Lord is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings justice to light. He, he never, never fails. fails. The other place it's about his promises not failing. But here it is. He never fails. God never fails. It's not possible for God to fail. Okay. So let's go to. Praise God. Hallelujah. Mm. See, my spirit of God is better than my confidence. <laughs> Second Samuel 12. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. Uh, verse 19 and 20. 19 and 20. I'm honestly telling you, if it was the spirit of God, I would never be able to say it is from Zephaniah. Hmm. Would never be able to say it was Zephaniah. Even Google couldn't get it. <laughs> right? Google couldn't get it. Okay. That is why, that's why I keep telling you, trust on him, lean on him. He can bring to your remembrance just like that. When David saw his servants whispering, David perceived the child was dead. Therefore God, David said to his servant, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. What did he do? He went and worshipped. Now, you can hold a grudge. You can hold a grudge. 
Okay, if you want to, you can say, okay, I sinned. Why does the child have to die? The child is innocent. He did nothing wrong. If you want to take somebody out, why don't you take me out? That's what he said in case of Absalom, Absalom, Absalom. I wished I had died in your place. Okay, I had died in your place. He's not holding a grudge. Not holding a grudge. Because our usual logical mind goes this way. When a baby dies, where is God? Ah, yes, in a sense. I mean, I've been fasting for seven days. I've been on my face. I have wept before you. I have cried before you. I acknowledge my guilt. I have, Lord, would you spare this baby's child? God didn't answer his prayer. Denied his prayer. And we know for one, the baby is not guilty. Yeah, yes. It is not like Job's sons. The child is not eating or drinking or curse God in his heart. Nothing. The baby is absolutely not guilty. The father is guilty. The mother is guilty. The child is innocent. This is my issue with uh, when we talk about children, right? Whichever way a child is born, a child should be born normally between a married couple. But other ways when it is born, remember, the child is not illegitimate. Child is legitimate. Only the parents are illegitimate. Yep. Okay, that's why abortion is murder because the child is not guilty. It's not guilty. And the child is not guilty. But when the child dies, look at that one word. He arose from the ground. He washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went into his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. I've preached about this yes. many times. But I'm telling you, when you feel God has failed you, especially when it comes to anything big in your life, especially losing loved ones, you cried, you this thing, this is the words you need. Let's go back to that verse. This is the words you need to go back to. The first thing, we need to arise from the ground. You need to arise from that place. You have to get up. You have to get up. It's a it's it's a spiritual term in the Bible. If you don't arise, the prodigal son came to his son's senses and he arose. Mm. Jacob is got used to living as a slave in Laban's house, and God says, "That's not my plan for you. Arise, arise. And go back where I met you. Arise." It's a word, spiritual connotations. Arise. You have to get up. Second thing the Bible says, he washed. Okay, you have to wash. How do you wash yourself? Now, David, these are all spiritual terms. How do you wash yourself? You have to go back to the word because the only thing that can wash us is the water of God's word. No, That's what the David is doing at Ziglag. He arises and he encouraged himself in the Lord. What does he do? The depression, the discouragement, the the feeling of emptiness in your spit of your stomach. Wow. My wife's wonder what happened to them. My children had they been killed, taken as slaves. But you know, he allows the word of God to wash him clean of these things, encourage himself in the Lord. That's what the word of God does. He washed himself. And then he does the third thing. It's not enough. You need a fresh anointing. You need a fresh anointing. Yesterday's anointing won't do. Today, it's a different day. A fresh anointing. He anointed himself. And the Bible says he changed his clothes. There has to be a change of garments. Put away the garments of mourning, the garments of depression, and put on the garments of praise. There has to be a change of garments. These are things which one has to learn to do when things, calamities happens. And the Bible says he went into the house of the Lord. 
Be very careful where you go. Be very, very careful where you go because when people are hit by calamity, they go to the wrong house to forget. They go to a movie theater. They go to the bar. They go to the brothel. They go because, you know, I just can't handle this. I just can't handle this. I just can't handle it. You know, that's not the place where you go. The place you go, you go to the house of the Lord. And that's where God met that man who was crippled for 38 years. Do you want to get to earlier? Yes, pick up your mat and go. He didn't know who it was. The Bible says Jesus found him in the house of the Lord, in the temple. And that's where you need to go. Because when you go to there, when you go there, God will speak to you. He will speak to you. He went to the house of the Lord and what he did there was he worshipped. He didn't pray. God has denied his prayer. God has denied his prayer. God has denied Job's prayer. God has denied David's prayer. These are also very special people in the old covenant. You know what they do? They worship. What do you mean by worship? You are accepting the sovereignty of yes. God in this situation. The goodness of God in this situation is you are good all the time and you are sovereign. You can do whatever you want to do with us. They are not mine anyway. They are yours. When I came, I brought nothing. When I go, I take nothing. I acknowledge your sovereignty. That's worship in this situation. He worships. Then the Bible says, then he went back to his own house. Again, from the house of God, be very careful where you go. You go back to your own house, back to your own post. And what he does is that he went and he asked for food. Mm. Usually people don't eat. They starve. But he eats. He eats. Why? He says, you know what? Prayer denied. Work continues. I need strength. Prayer denied. The will of God continues. The work of God still continues in my life. And to do the will of God, what do I need? I need strength. strength. And that's when they ask him this question and his confidence in eternity. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen that you will see in verse 21 and 22 when they ask this question. Hmm. 21 22. Then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. And when the child died, you arose and ate food. They can't understand. Okay? The people in the flesh will not understand what this man is doing. Look at his answer. He said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? In the next verse, yeah, I'm sorry, 23 also. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Yeah, what? Absolutely confidence, you know, confidence. You know what? I know I am saved. I know my child is with God. I know he will not come to me. But I know I will go to him. Therefore, I will continue doing what God has called me. That's how you look at situation. That's how you. So God does not. Uh, God never. Fail. He may not answer your prayer. Right. Yeah. So when when Job uh, uh, falls down and worships God, mm. uh, is he coming to a conclusion saying that when God is doing whatever He's doing, He's just in His He's just. He's always just. See, God cannot be unjust. Mm. And so. So, yeah. so basically, yeah. If you go to if Deuteronomy, where thirty-two, yeah, ascribe greatness to the yeah, God, no, yeah, thirty-two, uh, I think. Thirty-three, one second. Yeah, thirty-two, thirty-two. Mm. Oh. Thirty-three. 
32 and verse 3 and 4. 32 and 3 and 4, yes. Yeah, 32, 3 and 4. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth, without unjust, without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Now who is saying this? When is he saying? It's not just who is saying it. When is he saying this? This is he is saying at the end of his life. Probably in a few days time he will die. This is Moses. But if you were to look at Moses, mm. you know, if you were to look with natural, human, carnal or intellectual eyes of the life of Moses, you would ask Moses, what did you get out of following God? What did you get from following God? At 40, you were prince of Egypt. Then you chose to follow God. The next 40 years, you were in the wilderness serving your father-in-law as a shepherd. And the next 40 years, you've been wandering in the wilderness with these people. Did anybody you bring get into the promised land except you? Anybody could get in? 600,000 men you brought. What happened to them? All dead. Oh. You were so faithful in the house of the Lord, right? Did you get in? Did your brother get in? Did your sister get in? Sons. Mm -hmm. And what about your sons? Mm -hmm. Have they been exalted into any position? Mm -hmm. Nothing. And what do you say? You say God is just. Amazing. Hmm. That's, that's a, the act of worship actually signifies the fact that, that is, is acknowledging the fact. That unless we see, otherwise our worship mm, is, is, not, is genuine. not genuine. That's why yes. Jesus mm. said the time has come and this God is seeking for those who worship in spirit and truth. Mm. This is the truth. God is just. Mm. God is just. And that's how Joseph, Job is worshipping. That's how Moses worships. That's how David worships. God is just. Absolutely just. He is right. He is right. When, and not only he is right. Okay? That's the difference between a judge in a court and our God has judged. When the judge, when his verdict, he looks at all the evidence, everything, and we'll say, oh, it's a fantastic judgment. But we don't say the judge is good. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We cannot say that. Oh, he's loving. No, they say, but with God, it's a different thing. He's always good, he's always loving, and he's always right. Because for believers, that is important. It is not enough that you accept God is right. It's not enough. You have to believe he's loving. Because when you say God has not failed, you're also saying his love has not failed me. Mm. It is important. Very, very important. God never fails. His love never, never fails. fails. And these are the things that sustain people like David. Boy. David always knows. And you know what? God loves me, period. He loves me. His love will never fail me. And whatever he does, however terrible it is, it is for my best. Is for my best, you know, and probably in retrospective effect, when he's thinking, probably in his bed in his old days, he'll think, Okay, now I understand. If the child had lived, there would have been too much politics in the palace. Remember, Solomon is going to be king. Mm. Instead of Solomon, this child becomes king. <laughs> there will be always a question whose son is he? Yep, yep, yep. yep. Whose son is he? Boy, all things work together. <laughs> the son is he. Is he David's son or is Uriah's son? Mm. Factions in the palace, palace politics, all kind of things happening over and God said, you know what, have a plan. It's your son through Bathsheba who's going to be the king. But not this son. It's not son. Not this son. So, 
We always have to accept this fact. Otherwise, you will not be able to handle tragedy. Why do people go into depression and discouragement? Believers. is because they feel God has failed them. God has never failed them. We have failed God. Because many other things which we ask from God, sometimes we don't even understand when God says no. It's only later we will, in, not even later in this life, in eternity we will realize, wow, thank you. This one did not live so long. That one lived long. This one died young. Thank you, Lord. You took them all out at the right time. If they had lived longer. Lived longer. <laughs> oh, Lord. Now I see where they would have gone, what they would have done. And God says, no, because he sees the end from the beginning. He knows. See, though we say we have free will, it's very limited. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> sovereignty, of sovereignty of God, God. overrules. <laughs> overrules everything. And says, I see you, I see you. And get home. get home. I know what you will do. Get home. Okay, so that's how it works. So there's another, I think, corollary question for this. This is question number 10. Because we're talking about praying. Oh, yes. Uh, question number question says, "Is there a place called I prayed enough?" Yeah. Is, is, is there a, a place, place called I, I prayed call. enough? I okay. often feel that I'm not praying enough for the things that bother me, especially for salvation of dear ones, change in character. I think it's a, it was a two-part question. No, only one question. No, no, it was a two-part. Question. Ninth, ninth, the first one is the ninth question. That's a different question. Oh, it oh, is yeah. the same person. person yeah, yeah, it is the same person. Is there a place called I prayed enough? I often feel that I'm not praying enough. No, it's switched off. Switched off, yeah. yeah From the things that bother me, especially for the salvation of dear ones, change in character, spiritual growth. No. When it comes to these things, salvation of dear ones, change in character, spiritual growth, there is no place called praying enough. There is no such place. There's no such place called praying enough. Okay. There are certain things where God will say, nope. He'll say, nope, don't pray. He'll say, if you have a prayer life where you learn to hear from God, like Jesus three times, nope. That's not my will. You know my will. You know my will. See, often we need to understand is that Sometimes we keep on praying for things. It's because we are not surrendered to God's will. Therefore, we do not hear what he wants to say. We have selective hearing. <laughs> like like we have two stalwarts in the new covenant. One is uh, Jesus, of course, the son of God. And then there is Paul. Why is it they could hear so easily? Because they were surrendered to God's will. So even when they prayed against God's will, God told them no, and they accepted it. If you are not surrendered to God's will, it's very difficult for God to speak to you. Mm. Very difficult for God to speak to you because one, you don't hear. Mm. I don't want to hear that. You know, people will say with each other also, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> the simple question is, why, did you, why don't you want to hear that? Because it's against your will, mm. your desire, mm. your aspirations. Okay, all that. But that's not how a child of God goes before God. A child of God goes before God by saying that, you know what, I am surrendered to your will. One, because ultimately your will will prevail. Mm. Yes. Two, your will is good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. Okay. I may not see it. I may not even understand it. But looking at who you are and your character, I will understand in eternity, I will realize your will was the best. And most people miss God's best will. 
telling you, you miss God's best will. You miss it. Most people miss it. Okay. They miss it simply because they are not surrendered. They are not surrendered. So they move into, I'm not saying they miss God's best will in everything. Mm. No. They can experience God's best will in certain things and his permissive will in many things Mm. and be out of his will in certain things. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, a simple thing I will tell you. Okay, simple thing. There are young people sitting here, one, two, three, four, four young people sitting, of which three are unmarried. Almost in every love marriage, you miss God's perfect will. Almost 99% of love marriages, you miss God's perfect will. Because you are not willing to hear what God wants to say. You already made up your mind. And God will allow. Rachel was not God's will for him. Mm. It's not God's will for him. But he was willing to work 14 years for her. And she only brought trouble to his life. What God did with the children is different. That is his will for them. Mm. Okay. okay. Let's say will for them. Because they are not responsible for something else. So what happens is, when you have love marriage, remember, God permits it. God permits it. God permits it. Okay. Because in a marriage, it's a very important decision. Like In a marriage, the first thing you need to realize is, God has somebody for me. And that somebody that God has for me is according to God's will for me. Which will work out his will for me. But for somebody when he's love, he's not even thinking about God's will for anything. Okay. So that's where it comes. That's where it comes. So in the same way, in other decisions and all, okay, other decisions and all, you need to realize Okay, I'm not saying per se every love marriage therefore is not God's perfect will. But are you willing to surrender? Mm. Are you willing to surrender? Both parties are willing to surrender and says, I like you, you like me, everything seems to be fine. We are believers, standard will, everything is fit in over here. But, but if God says no. no, it is a no. We go our separate ways. And then God says no. It's no. But if God says yes, it is yes. So I'm not saying love marriage in itself is wrong in itself. But that's not the point. The point is, are you surrendered to God's will in this matter? In this matter. Okay. So everywhere, in anything, that's where God's will comes in. So we need to be very, very sure about these things. The first thing for hearing in prayer is actual, genuine, easy way out is being surrendered to God's will. Hmm. Okay. Then when it comes to certain things like salvation of dear ones, it is not the will of God. Anybody should perish. Okay. So when it comes to the salvation of somebody, okay, salvation of somebody, you never stop praying. Never stop praying. Or change in character. You never stop praying because perfection is not going to happen. But we have to finish our backlog. On our character, so much backlog is there. We have to clear all this. As much as we can clean out on this side of eternity, we should. Spiritual growth. All these things, there is no 
place called I prayed enough. We can never pray enough. We can never pray enough. The reason is, unless we, we change the entire concept about praying, we will pray enough. Okay. We always have seen prayer as a portal or as a mechanism to get answers. No. Prayer is a place where you hear from Him. It's where you hear from Him. That's what it's all about. You can hear from Him. Okay. Lord, I want to be a patient person. Lord, I am praying. And then one day your wife tells you, you're so patient today. Thank you, Lord, for answering my prayer. And after that, you stop. <laughs> the question is not that. The question is not whether you're patient enough for your wife. The question is whether you're patient enough for God. Lord. We are not looking at these things horizontally. We are looking at these things vertically. Am I good enough for God? To be able to say one day, well done. Well done. Okay, your wife may say seven times, well done. Okay, but that's not the whole issue. The issue is what is God saying? So when these things which are, which are connected with God's character, when you're talking about character, it's connected to God's character. Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, when it comes to love and forgiveness and all, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So the question is, are we anybody perfect? No. Mm-hmm. So that is a prayer that never changes. Mm. Lord, I am not loving enough. I am not loving enough. Even if everybody calls you the most loving person, for you tell God, I am not loving enough. Because I know I have been reached situations where I have been really been tested, tested. to say, to be proved that I am loving. Okay. Then the Bible says in James chapter 3, who who is able to control, control his tongue is a perfect person. And the question is that when it comes to that, we realize, you know what? haven't reached there anywhere close, Lord. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me. Help me with words. Help me with my tongue. Help me with my tone. Help me in the way I speak because I look at you. Your word says there was no deceit found in your tongue, Mm. in your mouth. One, two. Second, you had the word for the weary in season. Your word. And when you preached, there was authority. And everything about you was connected with your words. You know, I look at your words. I look how you used words and the power of the words, the authority of the words, the healing of the words, and absolutely no guide, no deceit, no sin in your words. I look at all that and you realize, Lord, that is the target. (laughs) I know that is the target. That's spiritual. Mm -hmm. That is the target. So there is never a place in these things where you come and say, uh, I've reached a place called enough. No, you never reach that place enough. Okay, then learning to know about God is never, I mean, sitting in the prison, wherever he is in Second Timothy, whichever Roman prison, waiting execution, no waiting release, whatever, he doesn't have much time left. He's still asking for his parchments. Oh. What are you asking for these parchments? <laughs> what do you want that parchments for? Mm. Now get ready. Tell them to take the measurements of the coffin and all that. No, he's not even, but he's get my parchments because let me meditate upon this. Let me get to know my God better. I'm not going to waste my time in prison. No, yeah. you can get those parchments over there. No, so think about it. No, if you were in prison and they tell you you are on death row, probably in two months time, you will be you will be executed. So, do you have any request? And you say, yeah, I want my old Bible in which I have written all my notes. I have marked it all over there. 
That's that man. This man is his boss. So he's, he's never, it's never a place called enough. And he's still praying. He's still praying. Many of his prayers are written in prison. He's praying, he's praying. It's never a place called enough. In these things, when connected with God, it is not enough. You know, so, nope, there's not a place called enough. Mm. Pastor, there's another question, um, which is again on the same theme. The cycle, this is question number eight, okay? The cycle of blessings will give your faith a good testing. But I have, but I have a hard time allowing God to work in my life regardless of what He chooses. To surrender to His power and love and surprising plan for me. (laughs) Why do I still struggle? Is it the fear of the unknown? See, um, we need to look at Hebrews 11.35. That is the transition. Okay, always say that is the point where the tone, 35 onwards tone, okay? Till 35, it is boom, 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 victory. <laughs> Women receive their dead, raised to life again. And then, Others were tortured. after that, it changes. Yeah, we, I didn't read the whole of it. 35, 35, 35. Yeah. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. They could have accepted deliverance at the cost of denying their faith. Accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Okay, they were offered life on earth. Deny Christ, you can live or you will die. They said we will die and live there. That's the choice they had to make. Okay. (laughs) Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn into, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Okay? So the prosperity gospel doesn't fit with this people. <laughs> Health, wealth, the gospel doesn't fit with these people. But God has a testimony about them. And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith. They obtained a good testimony through faith. Did not receive the promise. They did not find anything on earth. In their case, the prayer was denied. In other cases, the prayer was accepted. They got their dead back to life. In this case, they died. Yeah. Okay. Others were released from prison. These people died in prison. God having provided something better for us that they would not be made perfect apart from us. Now, there was a verse, one verse we missed in between. Somewhere we swallowed a verse where it says the world was, world was not. 30, 36, 36. Uh, 37, the previous verse was. Previous verse, but 39. It's there. Because one verse went missing. 38. No, no, 38. Yeah, yeah, 38. 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. You know, we say poor fellows. What a stupid fellow. Just give it a, what it is, Jesus, Jesus, prayer, prayer, leave it. The government is offering you release and a race and promotion and all. What kind of idiot are you? But the Bible says a different thing. The world was not worthy of them. They were too good for this world. Oh. Put it across in symboling it. They are too good for this world. God says, I want them for my service. So this is where it comes. We have to look at this transition. To look at this transition and accept both. That is where the three friends of Daniel say, you know, if God wants to rescue us from the fire, he can. If he does not, that's his sovereignty. 
I cannot put God in a box and say, if you are God, you will rescue from the fire. No, you cannot. There is only one choice I can make. If you are God, I will bend my knee only to you and to nothing else. Hallelujah. I will not compromise in that. Hallelujah. That's the only so, so, only choice I have. And when they do, God brings them out of the fire. But that is not true for everybody who made that choice. Many multitudes, thousands were burned in the fire at the stake. Great men in this two thousand years, so many were burned in fire, including Tyndale and all from whom we yes, got the burned all of them from. Um, the old saints burned at the stake and all. They were not rescued from the fire. They were not rescued. They chose. So that's what we are talking about. Therefore, there is fear. There is fear. Both is faith. You cannot have the faith of blessings alone. You, this is where faith, see, the, the modern day faith that we are talking about is very sloppy. Very, very, it's a false faith. That's what the Bible talks about in Corinthians, uh, 1519, that if only in this life we have faith in Christ, we are the most pitiable of all men. Pitiable. Corinthians 1519. 1 Corinthians 1519. Second has only 13 chapters. If in this life only we have hope in Christ. So everybody is hoping for everything in this life. and That is what faith is used for. So they don't have the strength of the faith to face these challenges. But in the underground persecuted nations, it is the other side of yeah. the faith that we see. They face death every day and they refuse to deny. But if they deny, they are free and they get lots of benefits with the system. But people only look, faith has been, this dominion theology came in and faith has been put across as something pertaining to this. Yes, there is one part of dominion theology I accept. That is dominion over the powers of darkness. But not over the systems of this world. Not now. Then all these martyrs who died for 2,000 years were fools. Yeah. They were not. The apostles were fools. Mm -hmm. Thomas who came to India and was killed was a fool. Paul was a fool. Peter was a fool who got up, crucified upside down. No, they were victorious in faith. So there is fear. There is, there is this fear. And, uh, the ways you battle fear is one, it is faith. It's by faith you overcome fear. The other is, is love for God. Love for God. Yeah. You know, that's why the Bible says love is as strong as death. Mm -hmm. Solomon will say love is as strong as death. Okay, what are you afraid of? Death. What does death mean? Loss. But there's something that even people in this world will face brave death for love. Mm. For love. I know, for love. And that's what the Bible is talking about. Yes, you know, we have to surrender to his power, to his love and his plan. Okay. Sometimes part of his plan may be loss of everything on earth and gain of everything on that side. To another man, it will be completely different. It may be gain of many things on the like Job was given everything back. That does not mean everybody gets everything back. No. It is God's sovereignty. It's God's sovereignty. We cannot take a particular picture and say, this is God's only pattern. No, we cannot. That is the issue over there. Yes, Abraham is a type. Isaac is a type. Jacob is a type. Job is a type. But they are not the only type. They are not the only type. Okay. They are not the only types. You cannot say, yeah, therefore, if you are a child of Abraham, then you have to be blessed like Abraham. You have to be healthy, wealthy, and all that. No, it is not there. It's not there in the Bible. It is left to God. 
How does he want to use you in this life is a simple question. Okay, and that's what uh, Jesus was fascinated by the Roman centurion's faith. He said, I'm a man under authority. When I tell somebody to go, he goes. Somebody tell, meaning when, they, when the man who has authority sends somebody to go, the one who goes doesn't decide where he is going. Yeah. It is decided by the person who sends him. Yeah. Sends him. And God said, wow, you understand how authority works. So a man of faith is a man of under authority. Okay, you cannot be a man of faith unless you are a man under authority where you obey orders. Okay, okay, you've been called to fight the Philistines, the Midianites, everybody. You blow your trumpet, 32,000 came. And then God says, it's too many. <laughs> Actually, it's too less. You have around 130,000 soldiers yes. on the other side. You have only 32 and God comes and says, it's too many. The question is, who is in authority here? You or God? <laughs> Who is in authority here? And God says, cut them down. And I will tell you how to cut them down. All who are afraid, let them go. Suddenly you look around, 22,000 is gone. But if you were not a man under authority, and you refused to listen to God, you would have gone with these 32,000. And when the Midianites came, these 22,000 would have turned and run. And when these 22,000 ran, the other 10,000 would have followed them. What you would have faced was complete rout. So when some people leave, it's because God has not discarded them, but he's saying, for this battle, they are not good for you. Lord, numbers are good. He says, you don't need numbers. I am with you. I am with you. Later they will join. But not now. Not now. So you have to believe God when things are being taken out of your life. People are being removed from your life. Situations are being through it all. You have to keep your eyes on God because He is the one who is Jehovah Shabbat, the captain of the horse. If you are in a battle, if you see life as a battle of faith, I have fought the good fight. Fought the good fight. Then if you are fighting a fight or you are in war, you are in a battle, the quite simple question to ask is who is leading you? Who is giving you the orders? Because it's a spiritual battle you are fighting. If you are fighting a spiritual battle, the, the, the thing is that the leader, the commander is Jesus. He's Jehoshaphat. And that's what Joshua discovers. A man standing with a sword in his hand. He says, are you for us or against? He says, neither. As the Lord's commander, I have come. He says, I'm not for you or against you. You have to make the choice. Whether you will be with me or not. Whether you will obey orders or not. And you can only obey orders if you, you're standing on holy ground. Take off your shoes. And I will tell you. He's looking at the walls. And he says, I will tell you how these walls will come down. And you have to obey me. Then only the walls will come down. But if you obey me, it will come down. What I'm going to tell you will make no sense at all. Every time God speaks, I'm telling you in the Bible, it makes no sense at all. If it can make sense, then man would have thought it out and done it. That's why it is from God. He says very clearly, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts, how high, how far, 
as the heaven is from the earth. You look in one place in the Bible where God tells, when God is directly intervening in somebody's life and when he tells them to do something. Does it make any sense? Does it make any sense? Anywhere does it make any sense? Starting with Noah, the middle of nowhere, build a boat, flood is coming, you and your family will be saved, animals will come to you, take the animals with you. Does it make any sense? Even today, will man be able to do something like that? Think about it, with all our modern technology. Would be able to do something like that? Think about it, even if you built a Titanic, or Queen Elizabeth II, or ocean liner like that, to get these animals... I was thinking about the logistics about how to handle these animals. Think about it. Right? Think about it. But all happened. Did he have to sweat it out? No. Hmm. He just had to obey orders. Okay? Obey orders. And look at every one of them, whether it is Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, every one of them. To Abraham, man is 100 years old. And wife is 90 years old. They both are dead in their bodies. And God says, next year of the appointed time, you'll have a child. <laughs> Can you believe this? Everybody is going on the way to Egypt. Where there is Nile and fields of water. There is harvest. It's famine. Everything is dry. Everybody is moving. And one man is told, don't go. He stops. Plant your seed here. Not only that, that is also make sense. That is even more worse. <laughs> Plant your seed here. He does. He reaps a harvest that year. So if you look through, go through the entire Bible, there is not a single place. I mean, the silliest instruction in human mind is telling, take this stick with you and bring my people out. <laughs> take this stick with you and bring your people out. Okay. 40 years later, 40 years earlier he had some confidence because he's thinking about it. I got tremendous influence in this country with the Egyptians. No, I have led many, many conquests for Pharaoh. I can cause a split in the army too. I can get some Egyptians also on my side. I can cause a rebellion. I can train this. All these things. 40 years later, that Pharaoh is dead. You have no influence with your people. You have no influence with the Egyptians. You have no influence in your own father-in-law's house. You are a man with no influence. And then you are supposed to go and say, who sent me? I am sent me. With what? With a stick. Oh boy, oh boy. I mean, it is not... You think about these people, you have to take hats off to you. Most, how did you go? How did you go? But God has never changed. He's still the same God. When he tells you something to do in your own personal lives or ministry, you will always realize it does not make sense. How I many when our church, we have testified when he started our church. First week, he says, don't go out. The place will come to you. Now, you want a place, you have to go out. Place doesn't come to you. You have to go out. By Thursday, the place, the place comes. is coming to you. And it is a place actually right there in the center of the city. And nobody even knew. It was right there. And you get for a pittance of a price. Because one thing you don't have is money. You have no table. You have no chairs. And then the owner says, I will give you my table. And I will give you the chairs. And then you need to buy the next thing you want. is you know, typical. You want a sound system. You want a guitar, everything. All these things. And God says, don't take offerings. 
for a couple of weeks until he have taught them how to give and how not to give. Everything started. And then of all things, even in the first meeting 14 years ago, he says, I have one small little MP3 player. He says, record your message. What do I want? I don't even want to start a church. I never wanted to start a church. One thing I ran from God. You call me to do anything. Apostle also fine. Pastor, no. <laughs> Apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, all is fine. Pastor, no. I will not start a church. I don't want to handle that. That's one thing. And that's one thing he goes and calls. <laughs> Oh, lot of mercy. I literally ran in the opposite direction, got nicely counseled by two people, go back. You are wondering when you are going to start. How long will you say no to God? So here you come to how to start a church. You have nothing to start a church. You are living in a rented apartment. Finally, that Sunday, you start, even when you are thinking, you are not thinking church. We escape this. We are very, very smart biblical words. Now we escape this term called church with a word called fellowship. Fellowship. We start a house fellowship. <laughs> house fellowship. There was no escaping. But think about it. At that point of time, when God says, "Record your message," and you should all listen to the first message because you, at the end of the message, you will hear me telling. I think they took it up. Put him out to bring the snacks or not? That made from Assam. You know. It's sitting over there. That message was recorded. Now, 14 years later, how many people have listened to that message? And how far and wide the church has gone. And he says, start a web page. Okay. And put it in our web page has hardly changed. It's still the same, right? It's still the same. And you look where to where it has gone. But when he told it, it made no sense at all. Absolutely no sense at all. Didn't sense, make any sense. What did we do? We just obeyed. We just obeyed. And that's where it comes. You cannot because the, the, the block to surrender is fear. Mm. That's what the devil uses. He uses fear. Uses fear. And the fear is always connected with now and loss now. That you have to battle. That is why absolute genuine faith is put in Hebrews 11 verse 1. Mm. That is how that chapter of faith begins. You have to always go to that. This is the definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. So hope is brought to faith. So the simple question to ask is, what are you hoping for? Mm. Are you hoping for something that is temporal? If you have to choose between two results, a temporal result will have no effect in eternity, even loss in eternity, or a temporal loss, an eternal gain, what will you choose? You will never know the quality of your faith if you don't bring your hope to it. Because all the faith that is being taught today is temporal. It's temporal. There are two things. You go back, go back, go back to that verse. Mm. Evidence of things not seen. There are two things I do not see. One is the things I do not see in my present here on earth. 2023, 2024. Okay. The things of this world I do not see. 
then there is the things which I do not see in the unseen, in the eternal. I can use faith for the things not seen here. It is okay. But if I am boxed in by that, I will miss on that. I can believe for a house. But the question is, when I am believing for the house, I shouldn't be so, what you call, boxed in by that. I shouldn't miss my house in heaven. The temporal captures you. The temporal should not capture you. Okay. There's a test of poverty. There's a test of prosperity. These are all tests. There is virtue in neither. Absolutely. Of course, there is more virtue in prosperity than in poverty. At least you can help somebody. The poor man can help nobody. Okay, but Paul is both rich and poor. He says, I know how to abound and I know how to abase. But one thing I know, there is no compromise, absolutely no compromise. So these are things we need to realize. If your hope is not connected to your faith, your faith may be false. You may be saved, but that's all you are. A lot of people, their faith is in the temple, in the temple. It is not wrong. No, it is not wrong. To have these things, because the Bible also says every perfect good thing comes from the Father in heaven. So the, the simple thing is that everything that I have, I own. Let it come from above. Yes. Let, let it come from above. Let it come from above. Because if it comes, because the Bible also very clearly says when God prospers a person, he adds no trouble. He adds no sorrow to it. Okay. If you if you believed and got so much wealth, then why are you so miserable? Why are you so miserable? Mm-hmm. You say today I prayed and I asked and hallelujah God I got what I asked for and then two years later you are so miserable about the very thing that you got. Why? Why? Okay, because you did not ask God. God can give you. Mm-hmm can give you. It's like a soul. God gave them a king in his anger and took him out in his wrath. He answered their prayer, give us a king, just like him. He said, no, no, no. He said, no, give us a king. Said, okay, take your king. Take your king. Okay. So it's always good. See, whatever people will say, always good to bring this thing over there. Let your will be done. Okay. Because we have a God who answers. The only thing, that's what I said, where the surrendered life matters. If you are not surrendered, God may not answer. Not He may not answer your prayer. He may not tell you whether it is good or bad for you. He may just answer your prayer. How can you tell an unsurrendered soul who is very childish, basically, unsurrendered soul is very childish, that, you know, I'm, I'm, you are asking for this thing. Uh, if I give it to you, this is what will happen to you. One or one, I don't care. I just want it. I just want it. Mm. Okay. But a surrendered soul is able to say, Paul is saying, say, Lord, would you take this infirmity away, whatever it is, that affliction away? And God says, no. It's good for you. And because he's looking at the eternity, it's very humiliating for him in the temporal. An anointed man of God, such an anointed man of God, with a disability, whatever it is, it's a humiliating thing. It's a very humiliating thing. You look at things in your life. You know, that's why I ran away from pastor. I said, I don't want to get over these questions. will constantly arise. You know, I don't want to face that. Leave me alone. 
When you are an itinerant preacher, it does not matter. Go there, preach, go there, preach there. Go. Nobody is asking, who are you, where are you coming from, whatever your family, nobody is asking. God says, will you obey me? Will you obey me? If you obey me, don't worry about this. Don't worry about this. If you don't obey me, you'll have neither this nor that. No. Because we are always looking at the temporal. Either we say no because we look at the shame in the temporal or we say no because we say if I say yes, then I'm missing all this in the temporal. But leave it to God. Leave it to God. Leave it to God. Okay. That's why you have to realize, you know, when we talk about ministry and call, it is not an easy thing. It's a very, very difficult thing. That's why the Bible says many are called, but very few are chosen. Okay. So we have to get this very, very clear. What is faith? What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped hope for. So immediately, it has, what are you hoping for? Exactly. This is my hope. Christ in you the is hope. the hope of glory. That is your actual hope. Christ in me is the hope of glory. So in faith, when I am asking God for something, does it fit in with Christ? It's a simple question to ask. Does it fit in with Christ in me? Will Christ be satisfied? Will Christ be happy if I get that thing in my life? Because I am no longer living my life. The life that I live, I no longer live. That's what Paul says. Christ lives in me. So whatever Lord you give me, if it is going to affect Christ, it's it's a simple exam, a practical way to understand. Okay, like we have all our young daughters in the church, all our young girls. Every time when they get pregnant, our tone with them changes. We start telling the girls. You know, everyone we tell them, drink lots. I don't like milk. Hold your nose and drink your milk. Hold your nose and drink. Eat this, eat this, eat it. Don't eat that, don't that, don't that. Why? What are we talking about? We're not talking about the mother. We're talking about the baby. It's good for your 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 baby. So suddenly the entire thing changes. The mother is not thinking about herself. She liked all these things before that is put away. What is good for my baby? Think in the same way. When you got saved, the Spirit of God came in. It's Christ living in you. You have to ask. That's the real person who's going to live forever and ever with Christ. Called to reign with Christ. What is good for that person? Because your hope should be connected with that person. Otherwise, you will use faith and think about the other person, the old man. What is good for that person? He wants fame. He wants numbers. He wants reputation. He wants ease. He wants all this thing. But... Okay. These are the great men in the Bible. If you look at Daniel, these are people who are making their choices. In a Babylonian court, they're thinking about, if I go with the crowd, it's good for the old man. If you look at types, if I stand for good, it is good for the new man. I will stand with God. Okay, stand with God. So you will always have to make these choices. And in the middle comes fear. And fear is always connected with loss. Connected with, at the end of it is of course the loss of life, but fear is always connected with faith, loss of faith. promotion, mm-hmm. loss of wealth, loss of faith, loss, loss, loss of family, he will misunderstand, loss, loss of security, loss, loss, loss. At the end of it is spectrum is death, loss of life itself. Okay. But that's where the Bible says some women got their dead back to life. Others did not. Why? Go back to 1125. 
That's faith. Better hope us. Yes. Look at where their hope is. 11 to 35. 11, 35, 35. That's that one. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured and not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Where was their hope? They were given a choice. Recant. You shall love. If you say, I am no longer a Christian, your children shall love. Now, you have a hope in this life. Okay, I can love. My children can love. Or, I will have a better resurrection on that side. <laughs> so their faith and their hope came together. Yes. Their hope was not temporal. Their hope was eternal. eternal. So you have to look into your situations and allow the God of God to guide you through this. And make your choices accordingly. In some cases, you get your dead back. Fine. It's fine. You get your dead back. Okay, but that also should be connected with the eternal. Every choice is connected with the eternal. And that's how, otherwise fear will come in. Fear will come in. Fear will come in. Because in your, I'm telling you, in your spiritual walk with God, at some place, everyone will have to cross that line. If you don't cross that line, it will never grow. Yes. That's the line you have to cross. Mm. If you don't cross your line, on this side of that line, what you experience God is different. Yep. That side of what you experience God is different. That's the difference between Red, the Red Sea and River Jordan. Ah. River Jordan is not baptism. Mm-hmm. It's the death mm-hmm. to self-life. Exactly. exactly. There you are dead. Mm. You, you cross that life, you are dead. There's no turning back. There's, There's no, no turning, turning back. back. That's it. Mm. You're entirely in the hands of God. God now. You have crossed the river. The river is on flood. And on that side is the Canaanites, the Perizzites. The Canaanites are on the other side. The first thing God tells them when they have crossed the river of death is circumcise yourself. Mm. And you know when they are circumcised, they are all in pain for days. When she came Town was circumcised is when Simeon and Levi put the entire town oh, to death. death. Here they are across the river. Mm-hmm. They have do not have the security of the river. Cross the river, circumcised, in pain, in fever, in whatever it is. And the Canaanites are watching. Your life entirely in the hands of God. Mm-hmm. Nobody can save you other than God. You across the river. And from that time on, it's victory only for them. They cannot be defeated. Mm. cannot be defeated. Mm. Okay? Sin can defeat them. Mm. Deception can defeat mm. them. So from that point onwards, the devil cannot defeat you. Because where does he touch you? He touches on your life. And you says, you cannot touch me there because there is no life. I am dead. You have nowhere to touch me. I am dead. Mm. And that's what Paul says. I am crucified mm. to this world and the world to it's me. I boast in Christ. So where can the devil touch you? The world means nothing to you. People mean, you love them, but the world doesn't touch you at all. You have to cross that river. And you leave the results to God. You don't know what he will do. But whatever he does, like we answered the first question, you know he's sovereign, you know he's right, and he's always loving. And God never fails, and his love never fails. Never fails. This is how these people progress, David or all of them. They had to cross this line. They had to cross this line. Yes. Pastor, because you talked about hope, this, there's another question on the same theme. This is question number four. Question number four. Uh, there are times I can recognize 
that saying yes to immediate satisfaction is often a way of saying no to trusting God with the hope that deeper satisfaction is available in Him. I want to understand how do I get to the point in my life? <laughs> the same thing that you mentioned. <laughs> so how do I get to that point in my life where I cross the line? In other words, the thing is that how you reach that point it's progressive. Is, it's it's, prog- it's by saying no to little things. Mm. You don't become faithful in a big One thing day, overnight. Mm. You become faithful by being saying faithful. You see. When Daniel said no, it was to food on a table. Okay. At that point, when you are a teenage in an undergraduate hostel, it's not a big thing. It's a small thing. But years later, he will be able to say no to the king's edit saying that nobody cannot pray for 30 days. Okay. But because he said no here, consistently said no in other things, he could say no when the big things come. So, when you say yes, there is immediate satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Immediate satisfaction. Okay, immediate. Simple thing like, okay, put it practical because all kinds of people are listening. Not older people who are pursuing, the young people also are listening. The simple thing to do is like waking up in the morning. Let us say you set an alarm. You need to be consistent. I'm telling about these things with with God. Okay, mm. God looks for consistency, mm. but consistency is connected with trust. Mm. Okay, consistency, like with church, everything. That's the way. Office, wherever you go to work, you no, know, have a consistency when you start working. Okay, really, when you start working, one of the fundamental things you need to realize is the things which, I mean, honestly. These things were ingrained into me by my father before I was a believer. These are things that you never go late to school. Absolutely late to school. So it got into your head that you never go to late to work. So the consistency, because you have an employer on earth, you have an employer in heaven. And the first thing they're looking at is, can you be trusted? Mm-hmm. Okay. And one of the first things when it comes to being trusted is got to do with time. Even if your employer is not bothered, it does not matter. There is an employer up there who is interested. These things matter. So the simple thing question is that, uh, can you say no to sleep? Because there is immediate satisfaction if you sleep for half an hour more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's immediate satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Absolute immediate satisfaction you get. Immediate satisfaction, okay. So you train yourself to say no to that. Okay, no to that. Okay. Now you need to realize this is how the spirit leads you. Mm. Okay, you will say, Spirit of God, I'm waiting for my calling. He said, Wake up now. <laughs> I'm calling you every morning. You're waiting for your calling, but I'm calling you every morning. Okay, morning by morning, I awakened my son. You're waiting for his calling, but you're not receiving my calls. A lot of people waiting for this great calling to come, but they won't wake up. They won't do anything. Okay, they won't do. And if they do, they will do two days in a row. And third day they miss it. <laughs> How do you trust you? How does God trust you? How does your employer trust you? How does somebody in authority trust you? Okay. No. Because you need to realize faithful and trust goes together. together. Yes. Absolutely. Mm. Can you be trusted? It's a simple question. Can you be trusted? 
God is not looking for efficiency. God is looking for trustworthy people. Yeah. See, the world looks for efficient, efficient. talented people and all up. But they got an ego up their head. Yeah. You have to wait for them. They will come when now. If somebody is talented, he immediately thinks he is indispensable. Mm-hmm. Then the entire program is postponed until he reaches. God is not looking for. That's why we saw in the morning also from Korukang. These are the kind of people he is looking for. Because he is not looking for talents. He is looking for people who can be counted on, trustworthy, who have inculcated these little, little things which are big in the kingdom. Once you have those things, what will happen? I mean, you look at David. He can be trusted. He can be counted on. To do what? Little thing like taking care of his father's sheep. And he's absolutely trustworthy with that. He will not lose a single one. Mm trustworthy with that. Mm. Now you get a man who is trustworthy, all you need is take the bottle, put oil on his head, I will do the rest through him. Hallelujah. There's something called an anointing. The virtue is already there. Mm. Yeah, okay. There's something mm. called an anointing. Mm. Okay. The problem with Saul, he's also been anointed, mm. but you cannot trust him. Mm. Even on the day of anointing, that fellow cannot be found. Where is, where is he, where is he, where is he, where is the Lord surrender? hiding under the baggage? <laughs> Prophet Samuel came to your house, showed you all these signs. You need to realize the number of signs Saul got received from Samuel on his first day encounter. Saul said, I already know. Your father's donkey have been found. Chicken leg has been kept separate for you. All the signs he is prophesying. Let me ask you this thing. What sign did David have? Nothing. No signs, no prophecy, no chicken leg, nothing. He's not even invited for the dinner. But what does he have? God has found him faithful. He can be trusted. He's a man who is consistent in the things of God. And God says, you know what? Anoint him. Mm. Anoint him. And these are little things which people need to understand. These are things which God is looking for. Okay, Don't go by modern 21st century IT companies. They only want result. How you bring your result, they don't care. Okay, you can start your computer, log in under the fan, you are logged in when you are not logged in. But there is somebody from heaven saying, knowing, looking at you, knowing that you are not logged in. He says, I see you, how you work with your company. But the problem is, you cannot put your fan on and think you are praying, because I know you are not praying. (laughs) These things don't work with me. These things don't work. <laughs> that is why the Bible in the secular okay, secular okay. I mean I listen to people and say they are so young, they're starting to work, they already learned how what we use the word now, Jugad is how to fool their system. <laughs> thank God we all worked in the secular realm where there were no computers, nothing. You woke up. I mean, think about it. I was thinking about my days. Now I look back and said, Lord, how? I, or sometimes I ask, Lord, how did I do these things? How did I do these things? I'm just 22 or 23 years old, waking up at four in the morning in absolutely cold country. Nothing is there. Okay, we have facilities, but no heaters, no warming. I have one uh, induction heater. I cook my breakfast and my lunch. Go at 5, 5.30, down the edge of a mountain, very carefully with my torch, because if you slip, you will fall. The fog has covered everything. What am I going for? For morning duty. <laughs> morning duty. Then you come back, you shave, shower, everything quickly. Your school is at 7.30. Okay. 
And then you look for favor because you got this crazy habit of sleeping in the afternoon, which you got from college days because the shift was morning. So you want to sleep in the afternoon, so you go to the principal and ask the principal, can I go home for an hour in the afternoon? He says, on one condition, I'll let you. Can you teach six hours at a stretch? I said, I can. If you let me go, I will teach six hours at a stretch. So here you are. You are just a rookie. You have never worked in your life in the in an official capacity. You have never taught in your life. And you are teaching first hour, second hour, third hour, fourth hour, fifth hour, sixth hour, and then you go home and you sleep. Okay, you're never late. Never late. Okay. There's no washing machine, no, there's no fridge, there is no gas, there is no mixy, yet you're doing everything on your own at the age of twenty-three. I look back and I say, thank you, Lord, my father trained me well. I was trained well when I was young. It is good for a young man to bear a yoke when he is young. We are trained well. But you know, I look back and I say, you know, you trained me well when I did not know you because you knew what I should become. I did not know you, but you knew me. You knew me and you put me through these rigors. You put me through these rigors even before I knew who you were, even before I knew I had a call in my life. These things were done. Okay. And then you get into it. Later you come to know the Lord and you come to mission field and you realize all these things help. All these things help. If I couldn't have taught six hours at a stretch in my first job in the secular realm, I couldn't have preached from morning nine to night ten. At a what stretch was two breaks another day in mission field, but you were trained there. Therefore, you could this. Okay, you could do this. Okay, because you are not faithful in the secular realm. How are you going to be faithful mm. in the spiritual realm? Yes, yes. You know, everywhere these things matter. These things matter. Okay, so don't say yes to immediate satisfaction. There are so many things which immediately you can satisfy. And that is where you say, no. And especially I'm telling you, when you are young, the Bible is, it's ecclesiastic. Uh, yeah. it? it is good for a Lamentations young, 3. So sorry, not ecclesiastic. Lamentations 3. three. Okay. Yeah. Got it. It's 3.27, if I'm right. 27. Got it? Yeah, yeah, 327. Yes. Okay. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Okay, yoke, youth, in his yoke. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 22, or 28. Mm. 28 is talking about uh, our sins, the burden of our sins. Mm. The burden of our sins. He says, Come to me. All you labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He gives it. Take that burden off. You don't have to worry. I bore it. You don't have to carry it. You are free. Go. Repent. Confess. Believe. Sanctified. You are set free from the burden of sin. After that, verse 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Mm. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. Now, yoke is between two people. So, who are you yoked with? I was telling on Thursday to the Nepali church. You are yoked to the Holy Spirit. Yes. That is the spirit of Christ your, in you. You are yes. yoked to him. to him. And it doesn't matter. You are saved at the age of 20. You are saved at the age of 80. You are young. Hallelujah. 
You are young. Yes. You are young. Mm-hmm. Bear the yoke now. Get into spiritual discipline immediately. It doesn't matter what age you get saved. Your time begins now. Get immediately the protocol of spiritual discipline, of prayer, of fasting, of the word of God. Because bear the yoke now. You may get saved only at 80, but you may live for the next 10 years. The next 10 years, if in the first two years you bear this yoke, you will bear fruit for the next eight years. Moses learned all this at the age of 80. He didn't learn when he was young. At young, he was useless for God because he learned all the ways of uh, Egypt. Egypt. Immediate satisfaction, anger, a sword came out. Mm. God said, put your sword away. You cannot be used. I'm not calling you to take a sword in your hand. I'm calling you to take a shepherd's staff and bring my people out, Mm. to be patient with them, to gather them together, to lead them as a flock of 40 years. What's a sword going to do with them? Mm. So immediate satisfaction. You know, that's what the Bible is talking about. We have to learn this thing. So I'm not saying take your, you have to look at it spiritually. Because what lamentation is talking about is not just literal, only for young people. Yes, if you're young, it is good if you have. What happens to the people who get saved after having messed their life and all up and they get saved at 60, 65? God says, first, there is salvation. Second, there is deliverance. Mm. And third, if you're willing, I will change you in two years. Are you willing to bear the yoke? I will give you spiritual discipline. Who will be yoked to my spirit? Listen to his voice. When he tells, wake up, wake up. When he tells, don't eat, don't eat. Mm. Fast today, fast today. Feast tomorrow, feast tomorrow. You listen to his voice. He will teach you spiritual discipline. Sit with the word, sit with the word. I don't understand, don't worry. Read it, I will teach you. He will give you disciplines. Your age does not matter. Age does not matter. But discipline matters. These are spiritual virtues. That is why the Bible says in Second Peter, Chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, once you are saved, give great due diligence. Diligence has to be be given. Be very diligent about this. Also for this very reason, give all diligence at your faith virtue. First thing is virtue. First thing is virtue. And then only the rest of the things. Virtue is like bones in a body. Then only the flesh, the muscles, the tendons, the sinews, everything. But if you have no burns, you will just collapse. A lot of people collapse after a year or two years in ministry because they don't have virtue. Mm. These qualities, they haven't worked on. Absolutely. How long did Saul last? Three years. He ruled for 40 years, but he lasted only three three. years. Exactly. When Mm. he's three years later, when the challenge came, he just collapsed. Mm. The next 37 years in depression Mm. because he did not have virtue. And God said, that was not my way because you asked for him before time. So when as pastors or as your pastor, when I tell some people, sit down, do this, do this thing, it's realized because I look at them and I tell you, you know what, you're good. You got a gift, but you don't have virtue. You don't have virtue. Because if you start before your time, what will happen? You will not last too long. You will not last too long. Mm. So sit down, take a break, take a break. Don't have to be too much involved because you know what? I see you. I see where you are going. Either you get depressed too fast or you get angry too fast. You get offended too fast. You hold resentment too fast. You know what? In the kingdom of God, these are huge things. Huge things. And Saul was destroyed because he did not have virtue. You know why? Because when he saw a young man doing well, he was jealous and he wanted to kill him. So he was the most loyal soldier in his army. 
God had brought David into his household to cover Saul up, but he ended up uncovering himself because he had no virtue. So these things are important. These things are important. Don't, don't walk away from these things. If mm. God has to give a lasting ministry, I'm not talking about earth. I'm talking eternity. about eternity. Mm. Now look at it. But also for this very reason. Go to verse 4. Mm. What is this very reason? Hmm? To be partakers of this divine To be partakers of, of his divine, divine nature. nature. What are we partaking of? Mm. See, we, we, we don't want that divine nature. We want divine power. Mm. When we talk about promises and claiming this promise and that promise and all, you know what we are partaking of is divine power. But that's not what the Bible is talking about. It says, you can have divine power without divine nature. But you cannot have divine nature without divine power. Understand the difference. Very carefully understand the difference. You can have divine power without divine nature. That is Samson. But you cannot have divine nature without divine power. That mm. is Jesus. Mm. Because the Bible says, when that woman with an issue of blood touched him, virtue, virtue flowed him. Yep. That's power. <laughs> yeah. Virtue flowed him. Mm. Virtue was flowing him. This very nature was flowing into her mm. as power. Okay. And then mm. she comes and confesses and says, go in peace, my daughter. Your faith has healed you. Okay, So that's what Bible is. Today what you're hearing is about power. It's power. You don't hear about nature. The Bible doesn't talk about that. The Bible says all the people who went that route failed. They all failed and they were destroyed. Because you need to have power. But let it come with nature. Therefore, because of this Give diligence to these things. How do people lose it? From the time of Cain, the Bible is talking about it. Why are you angry? What are you angry about? What are you so angry about it? If you do right, won't you be accepted? So the simple in that question itself is the answer. You have done something wrong. Why don't you correct it? You will also be accepted. No, he's angry. He goes out. You know what? He didn't have virtue. He didn't have virtue. So, he collapses under it and he goes farther away from God. Another dude called Esau, he says, give me now, lest I, why should I have my birthright? I will die. You know, he didn't have virtue. He's discarded. And God said, I hated him. I hate Esau. I love Jacob. Okay, so you look at all these pictures over there. God has written all this for us. Mm -hmm. The new covenant people, mm -hmm. so that these are all Patterns, good patterns, bad patterns, all the Bible still say in Hebrews 12, verse 1, the cloud of witnesses encompasses us, the Bible says. Seeing this cloud of witnesses, the Bible says, get rid of two things, sin and weight. Get rid of these two things, he says, get rid of these two things. Because what happens is these two things will not will hinder you from running the race that is set before. We have a race. At the end of the race is a crowning ceremony. Day of judgment is a crowning ceremony. But it says you have this cloud of it. Look into their lives. What was sin for them? What was weight for them? What was weight for them? Okay. What was weight for them? What was sin for them? I will put it across in two examples. Okay. Let me put it this way. Take a balloon, fill it with helium, right? You know what happens? Nice. It will take off. But I 
this glass to it. Now the balloon is not rising. It's full of helium. It's not rising. Why? Because I've tied a weight to it. Okay. The Spirit of God is the helium in you. But you got this weight. And therefore, He is not able to take you where you are supposed to go. He can take you only when you get rid of that weight. Okay. Or take that same helium balloon. Okay. Imagine this is a box. Okay. You put it into the box. It rises and it is hit. After that, it doesn't rise anymore. That is sin. Is there the spirit inside it? Is there helium in it? Can it rise? No, because it's been boxed on all corners. It cannot move anywhere. That's what weight and sin does. And you have to, sin is much more clearer than weight. Sin is clearer because sin always comes very, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict you of sin. Weight, you have to listen carefully. And you do not make judgments because what weight for me may not be weight for him. What is weight for him may not be weight for me. Weight is individual. It is personal. Mm. It is not the same. What is weight for one man may not be, maybe, what is weight for one man may be light for another man. <laughs> <laughs> mm. What is light for one man may be weight for somebody else. So weight you have to have, you have to hear. So we cannot make judgments. Say, get rid of that. That's this thing. No. No. Listen to God. Sin is very clear. Yeah. Because when it is written, second, God will come and speak to you about sin. But about weight, you have to listen. Mm. You have to listen. And you know what? Because the Spirit of God is in us, is the person, your personal trainer to finish this race successfully. That's what he's given you for. He's inside there. The Spirit has been given to us so that we will run the race that is set before us. And that's what Paul will say at the end of his life. I've run my race. I've run my race. And if you ask him, how did you run this race? How did you finish the race? He said, I listened. Lord. I listened. One, I got rid of every sin, what he told me to get rid of. Two, I also got rid of every weight that he got, told me to. This thing. Wait. So I ran. I ran well. That's how you, that's how you do these things. Unless you have those, that's as I said, if your hope is not in eternity, these messages will just fall flat. Mm. Because for something on earth, you don't need these things. Mm -hmm. These things. You don't need these things. But if you're thinking about eternity, that's forever and ever and ever. What is that you get, get on this world? That's what Solomon is talking about. Actually, the book of Ecclesiastes is a very fantastic book. Because what could be achieved by a mortal man on earth, he achieved. He achieved. All, all. And at the end of it, that's why the Bible says, world and desires. When you're growing older and older, none of these things matter. You are not able to enjoy any of mm. these things. You cannot enjoy. How much food can you enjoy when you're old? You're not able to even enjoy your bed because you don't even sleep properly. It's nothing you're able to enjoy unless you have learned to enjoy God. Then only things make sense. Because there is something that is important. You need to realize there is something called age. We all have been given a certain amount of time. Okay, That's why in Ecclesiastes he will, uh, he will tell, okay, when you are youth, do this, do this, do this, do this, but do all this. Things. But all, all these things, things, be careful. God be careful. It will get into your bones. And then when your bones start creaking, you can either enjoy it nor can live without it. And you will be a miserable man.
because in the days of your youth you did not learn to enjoy God. So David's end and Solomon's end is not the same. David enjoyed God. He also had the palace. He also had all these opportunities, wealth and everything. He had all of that. He didn't go that route. He learned his lesson and stuck to his God. And he enjoyed his life and he rested with his father. Solomon became a miserable man. So you have to look at what are you hoping for? Hoping for. Typically, if you look at the settings in which a person grew up and what was given to him, Solomon should have been the greatest in the Bible, right? Yep. It should have been called, I shall sit on the throne of Solomon. Mm. Throne of Solomon. Come to Matthew chapter 1. Got it? Matthew chapter 1 better. Genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Yeah. You go to words six. Hmm. You see there? Jesse begot David, and David the king begot Solomon by her by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Okay? You see David and Solomon coming? Hmm. You go to verse one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. See the difference? The new new covenant begins. It begins with the name of David. Not even Abraham. Not even Abraham. This is, of course, it's talking about the messianic king that is coming. That's why he's called the son of David. But if you wondered, he was also the son of Solomon. Well, exactly. Mm. Also the son of Solomon. Mm. Solomon is the, the most powerful, most wisest, mm. most richest. I didn't even mention just one name. <laughs> called the son of David. In fact, it says with the, uh, even the term king is only mentioned with David. Mm-hmm. And nobody else actually is the king. So if you look at that, yeah. Jesse begot David the king. Mm-hmm. And uh, David the king begot Solomon. And that's it. That's that's the, okay. the king is on <laughs> Nobody else's nobody name else. is the term king being used. <laughs> you need to realize. Yeah. No? So these are things. Because David, if you look at it, he kept his eye on the eternity. Kept his eye. He looked. He, he fell. We accept all that fact. He fell. He goofed up everything. But the thing is that, you know, he never took his eye off eternity. Even when his child is dead, he's keeping his eye on his eternity. I, I will not, he will not come back to me, but I will go to him. His eye is on eternity. Mm. You know, and if you keep that, that is actual faith. If our eye is not on eternity, our faith on earth will be also very temporal. When we got the things what we want, we will walk away. We will become useless for God. Very few people have remained useful to God till the very end of their life. And you look into their lives, you will see they kept their eye on eternity. All the others' faith was temporal. They had faith for now. It was a real faith. They got it. They claimed it. They got it. They lived it. That's okay. They went into history. history. Yep. Went into history. And that you cannot have. 
to cause loss in eternity and leave it the results into God's hands. We can only obey. We cannot choose the results. That's the thing about faith. You cannot choose the result. You cannot look at this pact and say, I want that. God says, no, that's in my hands. I will decide. I will decide what is for you. Yes, Pastor Vijay. You want to take another question, Pastor? Yes, yes, we'll take one more question. Yes, Pastor, there's a very interesting question because on this, on the same theme uh, about uh, the, keeping our eyes on the eternal. Can you go to question number eleven? Um, we're talking about laying down, surrendering, etc. Uh, but the question says, question number eleven, better. The last one. I'll, I'll read it, Pastor. Yeah. Uh, is it wrong to desire, though I know I don't have it and struggle, and ask the Lord to give you the gift of celibacy? It's either a yes or a no. Here is my perspective. Paul's life... It's not there? It's, it's there. It's there. Because okay. people will want... Yeah. Is it wrong to desire? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Paul's life, devotion and commitment to the Lord in love is attractive. Is it possible for a young man or woman to desire to lay down the, de- the desire to marry on the altar like Abraham did, uh, laid down his Isaac on the altar? Matthew chapter 19 verse 12 says, For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs by, by others. And there are eunuchs who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. First Corinthians chapter 7 verses 28 to 35. Mm-hmm. Can you share your thoughts and counsel? Okay, if you see the text, all this comes from First Corinthians seven, 7, remember yeah. that's yeah. the chapter when it comes to marriage, celibacy, all these things. Now I will tell you about the the issue over here and Paul puts it across. I mean, he's, if you read the chapter, it's a very beautiful chapter where it, where, uh, he puts it across. Go to chapter 7 and verse 1. Okay. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each one have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Yeah. Let the husband render. Okay, that's all talking about marital. What should happen in a marriage? Wife does not have authority over her own body. The husband does. Likewise, the wife, husband does not have. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. Come together again. But I say this as a concession and not as a commandment. Okay. In verse 7, he will say, this is what he says. I wish wish that all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. So there he puts it across that celibacy is a spiritual gift. Mm -hmm. You can ask. Can ask. It's a spiritual gift. So, what do you mean by the spiritual gift? What do you mean by spiritual gift? Read words eight and nine. Then you will understand how does this gift work. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So the question is, are you struggling with passion? And you should get married. Mm. Because when you receive the gift, that is taken care of. Amen. 
Otherwise, you cannot or should not be a celibate because you will keep falling on the on the way and you will mess it all up. So, if you want to serve God without any distraction, Paul makes this. He says, I'm very clear about this. I wish everyone was like me so that you can just really serve God. But everyone cannot be. When you want to be, this is the thing. So, when you talk about celibacy, what is celibacy? What one? What is the motive? What is the intention? Two, how does one become a celibate? You cannot do it through the ways in which we have in our culture, yes. sadhus and all have done. You know, you only become worse. If you try it in the strength of your flesh, flesh. It, you will only become worse and not better. Oh. Only become worse, not better. Because these things cannot be done in the flesh. So, if you want to really be celibate to serve God all your life, first seek if that's God's will for you. Why? Because God's plan for you may be completely different in which a wife comes in and is needed in his plan. Understand this. This is where the will of God comes. First, you need to understand the will of God. What is God's will for me? What is his plan for me? And when you look at the plan, you will realize in this plan, this integral part, a woman comes in. And if now I am going to say, Lord, I want your plan, but I don't want a woman, you will be fighting with your hand, one hand tied behind your back. You will never function to your full capacity because it needed another person over here. Okay, mm. understand. That's why first you need to understand, Lord, what's your will for me? What's your plan for me? What's your will for me? What's your plan for me? Okay. Once you understood his will and plan and you realize, okay, in this plan, it would be best that I am alone. But Lord, I need this gift. Because natural desires are there in every human being. It's part of your human being. I need this gift that I do not burn with passion. I need this gift. Then you receive that gift, you go in. It does not matter. You will function very, very well. That's why he says it is better for a man to marry than to burn. Because you will be always struggling. Struggling. Okay? Because, you know, I mean, you need to realize ministry is like a, ministry is like what you call going into battle. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now you, you are sending, you need to send a platoon, let us say 10 soldiers or 20 soldiers. They need to move fast and they need, actually you need 20 of them to move fast and by fight this particular battle. But out of the 120, one person is lame. Now you have to think, should I send 20 or should I send 19? 19 will be one less, at least they will move fast. But if you send this 20th one, he will slow everybody else. Hmm. So you know what the platoon commander says? He says, you stay back. Stay back. You stay back. Okay, because you won't be efficient in the field. In the same way, you want to serve God, but you burn with passion, get married and serve together. But you serve God, you don't have this issue, you ask, serve God alone. But he says, as far as I'm concerned, I wish everybody, and if you look at it, it seems to work out among all the others. Paul seems to have run the best because he had no distractions. Because the Bible is very, very clear. When you get married, you responsibility are. comes in. Yeah. And you have to take care of your wife, you have to take care of your children. All these things happen. All these things come in. 
and then no, it affects your ministry. It affects your ministry. Your wife will affect your ministry. Your children will affect your ministry. You will see many of the incredible ministers in the Bible like Moses or Samuel were hamstrung by their families. Hamstrung by their families. Samuel's wife, mm -hmm. Moses' wife, Samuel's children, Moses' children. But they stuck with it. But if you look at it, they have this grief. They have this grief. And if you were to ask Samuel or Saul, um, Moses and all later in life, what would you choose? They would have chosen, you would have chosen to be single. Because if you don't have a wife who goes along with you, it's better, and you are in ministry, better to be alone. <laughs> okay. So you have to look at that. That is how you have to look at life. We are not talking about everybody else. You understand? This is specific, basically called to serving the Lord. Go back there. Be very, very careful. We are not talking about people in the other realms and all. Go back to verse 6. No, 6. Yes, yeah. Yeah. But I say this is a concession, not as a commandment. Come verse 7. Yeah, but I wish all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God. And one in this manner, another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, he says to the widows also. It is good for them if they remain even as I am. He says, okay, your husband is dead. Why don't you serve God? Okay. But he says... Yeah. No, no. Where is another person, okay? He's not stopping anybody, okay, from getting married. Oh, okay. Okay. Verse uh, 35. Okay. Uh, sorry, 34 onwards, let us read, 34 onwards. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is unmarried cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Okay, And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Yeah. Okay, that's the main thing can serve. It's all about serving the Lord. Distraction. Okay, distraction. Okay. Honestly, you think about it. If you are single, you have no attachments, and you're serving the Lord in very difficult mission ground, what can they put their gun to? Only to your head. That's it. Mm. They cannot put your head, the gun on your wife's head, your children's head, and all that. Because when that comes, the problem is you're willing to die. The problem is when they're starting the, the pressure comes upon from even with Job, okay, when he loses everything, the pressure is coming from his wife. He worships God. She says, curse him. She's not able to take the loss of everything. He's, he's cool with it. So see a scenario in there where his wife is not there. He would have accepted the loss of it without anything. She's the one who's putting pressure on him putting pressure on him. That's what Bible is talking about. So these situations arise. But if you go down, go back, you go back uh, to that verse 34, 35 onwards. I say this for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but what is proper that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Yeah, verse 36. But if any man thinks is behaving improperly towards his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth and death, it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. He says, you were engaged or to something, proposal was there, and she is getting older, and now suddenly you, he says, go get married. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. He says, go ahead. Get married. Okay. Okay. 
Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. He says, who will remain celibate, does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's only connected with serving the Lord. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's only connected with serving the Lord. Okay, this is this is where you need to understand serving the Lord. When it comes to serve, he says so that you can serve the Lord without distractions. That is the whole thing. Because you know what, uh, you don't have to struggle to be double-minded. Mm. See, let us forget all the abuses that has taken place in the Catholic Church and forget their doctrinal fallacies and all that. But in structure-wise. They're extremely efficient. Exactly. It's because of celibacy. It's focused. Mm-hmm. You look at the institutions they run, mm. the schools they run, the colleges they run, the hospitals they run, the orphanages they run, everything. You know why they're so efficient? It's run by celibates. Yes, there are abuses, all those things. That is because people who did not have, have celibacy got in. But where they are celibates, they have left an influence on generations of students. They have done very well. Very well. Why? They may not be spiritual like what we are thinking about, but they have no distractions. Hmm. Distraction. Okay? Because when you take a man like that and put him, let us say, put him as a, as a principal, he has no distractions. He's entirely focused on the running of the school. Entirely focused on the running. I look at, I, I think about my college hostel when I was doing my undergraduation, okay. It was built like a T. It was built like a T. The T's, this floor was two floors. And the other was four floors. All single rooms, okay. And there's only one entrance of the T where you can get in from then. Exactly opposite is the warden's room. Maybe 200, 300 or how many students were there. One priest, that's all it takes. Oh, wow, to get discipline. He just sits there with his door open. That's it. No distractions. I've been sent here to take care of all these teenagers who are burning with passion. (laughs) 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 Wow. (laughs) And they were tough. They were tough and they were dedicated to that. Okay, they were, we always say, I mean, you always respect them. Yeah, you you see a priest in his cloak and you see a nun in her rich habit. It's automatically, always, automatically there, there is this thing because you know you all came through that line. Okay, of course, forget all the abuses, all that. But don't, you cannot throw the baby Maybe with the bath water. Yeah. The sad thing is that if they had known the gospel, if they had known the gospel and taken out Mary and the saints out and preached Christ while they ran this, this nation would have been different. You know what India would have been? Boy. You go to any city, any town in India, they run everything. The best is in their hands. They never knew the gospel. They never knew the gospel. I still remember with this will close. I was in Assam and I still remember Lieutenant Colonel Sahu. He used to come to the garrison church where I used to preach. And he fell and he broke his leg. Then he sent word by saying, Please come and visit me. He loved hearing about Christ. Mm. 
It's a Hindu. Hearing about Christ. His wife hated me. Because she was staunch Hindu. So I said, okay, I'll go. So one day I went. And I knew his quarters. Went. I rang the bell. And she opened the door. The orderly opened. She saw me. And I was sitting. Out, I mean, like they have a patio kind of this thing. She won't let me in. Okay, and I'm sitting there. I said, look, I need to go. I said, I shall I go? And the Spirit of God says, sit down. I sat down, okay. And I can ask him, I can hear him asking her, Oh, Pastor Sahib, and she's not saying anything. Oh, Gandhi kisne bachaya? Who rang the bell? Pastor Sahib, she's not answering anything. Okay. I sat there like that for 30 minutes. Then he called the orderly and said, Oh, Pastor Sahib, okay, Haji, so he's sitting outside. He's all right, sab ko aane do, sab ke aane. So he said, sorry, 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 this thing. And he said, come, sir. I just wanted to talk. So I said, okay, sir. We started talking. Talking about Christ and talking about salvation. This thing. Then he tells me. He said, Pastor Sahib, I was born in MP. And I'm an orphan. From a village. And one day a priest came and picked me up. And put me in the boarding school. And I grew up in a Catholic school. And I, they brought me up. They taught me. I got into the army. Today, when I hear you speak about Christ, now I understand why they did it, but they never told me about Christ. Oh, just imagine what they were. Mm-hmm. They never told me. They told me about everything else, Mary and saints and all, but they never told me about Christ. Hmm. That's why I was always interested in Christ because the Jesuits raised me up. Okay. And I prayed with him. I think I baptized him also before I left. Okay. So what I'm saying is that, you know, you look at their infrastructure and how well they have run it. Okay, they run it. The abuse has happened because of those who should not have been there. They did not have celibacy. But those who were celibate, I remember from my principals and my college to the warden, the bursar, and oh boy, we, we respected them. <laughs> we respected. They did a good job with us. It didn't matter who you were, Catholics, Protestants, Hindus, Muslims, everybody in the hostel. It took one man to handle them because he had no distractions. In the principal, 3,000 students from plus two to PhD in my college to go one man who walks around, there is silence. It is like better than a military. Military at least you're disciplined, no? but students all fall in line. They fall in line. And it looks anti the incredible part of my principal. I can see he died in a car accident. My principal, there were 3,000 students. You meet him only once in your career when you're going for your admission and he remembers your name. Wow. That was unbelievable how he remembered your name. You know why? Because he had no restrictions. Restrictions. He didn't have to go home to a family and children and worry about them and this thing. He had nothing. When he was at home, he thought about, thought about his students. When he was at office, he thought about his students. When he was walking on the road, he thought about, look at oh, James, Santosh James. How did you know my name? Okay, that's what Bible is talking about. And that's what Paul is. Okay, so it has to be a gift. Mm. It has to be the sole purpose of serving God. If it is not for serving God, then, but first, fine. What does God want you to be? To want you to be. 
okay but that does not mean protestant pastors and all have they have done fantastically okay because they also are able to empathize with with the families and the wives and the children because they understand understand so there is nothing i would say an apostle should be single a prophet should be single an evangelist should be single a teacher should be single but a pastor should get married pastor should get married the pastor is shepherding the flock the apostle is not the pastor should never get married because that fellow doesn't know when he is not fellow that man doesn't know when he's going to die <laughs> the sentence prophet, of sentence of death, death hands over him. prophet the sentence of death hands over him okay so these people should never get married okay that's why we don't know the names of many of these prophets wives or even if they are married elijah we don't know whether he's married right jeremiah was told don't get married you know apostles all were on death row so why did they come I in many of them were called when they were already married but apostle paul understood it very well he says you know what <laughs> when god calls you it's sentence of death i have to serve him with thought distraction so i will remain single they asked for that gift he received that gift that is a gift amen i believe that goes with it okay and you should but otherwise he says absolutely no issues with getting married so know your gift know your calling and be very sure you want to serve god serve god amen amen let's pray come best of it father in heaven we just want to thank you <clears throat> for this time thank you for teaching us lord teaching us showing us your ways teaching us your paths i pray father whatever we whatever we have heard oh lord will become life life oh lord because lord in you was the life and that life was the light of men the same life of christ let it flow through us so that we can shine as lights in this dark world oh lord thank you father for this time continue lord jesus to uh father enable us to follow up on whatever we have, whatever we have already heard to be obedient oh lord lord even as we have come to the end of the day we come to ourselves to your kind hands and even as we prepare ourselves for tomorrow if you choose to give us yet another day in the land of the living i pray lord we will all be found in your house on time to praise you to worship you and to hear from you we thank you we praise you we give you glory for in jesus mighty name we pray amen amen, amen.